Hey, thank you for listening to the Coach Fury podcast. Um, excited to have you listening. I have an excellent guest coming up in a moment. I was at a birthday dinner last night, and a couple of friends, including my wife, suggested, like, hey, Fury, maybe you should tell the people what you do before the podcast, as opposed to just like, you're this mystery guy, Fury, and we're supposed to assume we know you already. So, uh, folks, I am a strength coach and international fitness educator. I do personal training and online training. I am based in New York City and Brooklyn. Um, But I also travel around the world and teach workshops for a few organizations such as the RKC, DVRT, Original Strength, and I'm a part of Strength Faction as a mentor. Um, I have some workshops coming up. November 5th, I have an HKC one-day kettlebell certification at Catalyst Sport in NYC. Um, Then I'm going to take some time off in December to go teach in Tokyo. Up next for me next year, it's kind of crazy to have 2018 already happening as I'm doing an RKC with senior RKC Beth Andrews, January 26th through the 28th in Marietta, Georgia at the Movement Gym. That's spelled M-V-M-N-T. Then I'm going to have Original Strength at Crunch and 59th Street on February 11th at NYC. And then we have an HKC, which is not live yet, coming to MFF Bowery. I'm returning home on March 18th. And then we have an RKC2 coming back to Catalyst, our our second annual RKC2 on May 5th through the 6th at Catalyst Sport in NYC. Folks, as always, I have personal and online training available. That is what I do uh, in addition to talking to awesome people. And I'm really stoked for my guest, uh, Julian Cardus from... uh, Rebirth Transformation Center in Wakefield, Massachusetts. And yes, folks, I actually looked up on YouTube how to pronounce Massachusetts. Uh, It's one of those weird things as a kid. You never know if you're doing right, like how I always have to spell check if I write necessarily. And every time I try to make a mental note if I've spelled it correctly, and I never remember how to spell it correctly. Uh, So I'm learning my linguistics in terms of how to (laughs) use words. See, I just totally (laughs) fucked that up. Um, But anyway, Julian's a a very cool cat, and I'm really stoked to have him on. And we're going to go into why in a moment. Uh, But Julian, um, uh, owner of the Rebirth Transformation Center in Wakefield, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do out in Wakefield. So, uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. Um, I've been uh, uh, listening for the past seven episodes, and I, I just want to say that this has quickly become one of my favorite podcasts. Um, just uh, you've had some great people on. So if you're just checking out this podcast for the first time, um, go back. There's uh, seven just phenomenal episodes to catch up on. Thank um, you so much, man. I don't mean to cut you off, folks, but I also have to show some love. Uh, <laughs> this this podcast you can support through a thing called Patreon, which uh, – allows you to donate money, fund uh, creative-driven projects, independent projects. And Julian is uh, my first patron, my only patron through Patreon. So, man, much love. And uh, that is not why he's on the podcast, folks. Not need to leverage that shit. We were talking about it already beforehand. So thank you, Julian. You know, I I think the thing is that if, you know, people are out there um, listening to podcasts, it's really important to support the people that are doing them. You know, if there's, you know, they're, they're doing it out of the kindness of their heart and it takes a long time to, you know, to get these things up and running and, uh, you know, and as much as uh, we'd all love to do things for free, that's just not how the world works. You know, we have to, we have to support each other. So uh, that's my, that's my two cents on that. So, so, you know, there's plenty of, uh, podcasts that I choose to support because I care for the people that are doing them and I value the content and uh, that they're, they're putting out. So, um, so if you, if you know, there's podcasts you're listening to, you know, you should get on Patreon and start supporting it. Yeah. Fit pros go on Patreon, throw some money towards the fit cast too. Uh, I'm yeah. the guys like the, 
Kevin's been doing that for 10 years. Yeah. So uh, show him some love as well. Seriously. So, um, okay. So my, uh, my deal is I've just, I've been around, you know, I've, uh, I've been a personal trainer professionally for 16 years. Uh, I just, you know, my, my, my story's not abnormal from, you know, from a lot of people out there. I, I grew up, I was just kind of the short and fat kid. And I decided that, um, you know, I wanted to, uh, I really wanted to start dating. And so I got a job at a local, at a local gym in um, Colorado. I'd moved out to Colorado. So I got a job at the front desk and I just wanted to be there, you know, and I started to hang out with some of the trainers and, um, and I fell in love with the environment of being in a gym. And I, uh, decided to get my personal training certification. This was in 2001, just so I could teach myself how to transform my body. And, and I did, and I, and I lost a significant amount of weight. Um, but, and then I decided to become a personal trainer, um, professionally. So, uh, one of the things that happened with me was that very quickly I realized that, you know, for me, it was just never enough. You know, I said, okay, I was, you know, I'm five, two and I was 190 pounds with no muscle to me. Right. So, uh, I said, well, you know, when I get to one, when I get to 165, I'll be happy. You know, everything's going to be good then. And if I could just get there and then I got there and I said, yeah, you know what? No, if I get to 150, then, you know, then everything's going to be okay. I'm going to feel better. I got there and I didn't feel better, you know, and then I just kept going and going. And, you know, this is you know, 16 years ago now at this time, but I could tell you what I ate at what times <laughs> and, you know, it was bad. And, um, and so, uh, through overtraining, I just injured myself and, um, and started to put some weight back on and, um, through the, the recovery process. Um, and it was very eye opening. you know, it was just one of those things where I just had to say like, Oh, I really do need to, at some point learn about moderation, but also about that this, you know, this fitness thing is an inside job. You know, it is just as much about mental, emotional, and spiritual as it is about the fitness. Um, and, uh, and I use that to really help a lot of my, um, a lot of my clients. And one of the other things that happened was too, is that during that injury, I started to abuse, uh, drugs and alcohol, specifically painkillers, which manifested itself in, in, in went into some serious progressions. Um, so, uh, most of the people who know my story is I've been in recovery and I've been sober for over 12 years, but I utilize a lot of the, um, the things that I've learned with overcoming addictions, um, with, with clients. Cause most of, I mean, you know how it is. It's like 16 years ago, my clients were coming in just say, tell me what to do. Right. And I'm going to steal this from coach Debo from Habitry. But now it's, you know, he, he hits the nail on the head. He says, now clients come in and they say, I know what to do. I just can't make myself do it. And, yeah. you know, and that's, that's the big thing. It's a very small percentage of the people are going to want to know, you know, uh, refinement of technique and, um, you know, sets and reps and, and, and program designs and things like that. And that's where people get to more at the, you know, the advanced stages. Once you've really, they've gone through major changes, then they start to make this, you know, something that they're uh, a hobby of them, of theirs, where they really get interested in. But at the beginning, you know, that's not, that's not really the case. Yeah, it, it's kind of amazing. We, I just taught an RKC last weekend. And one of the things when we started talking about programming that I get passionate about, it's one of the things that, you know, uh, draws me to guys like you, women um, with similar mindsets, that 
it is so much more than what we're lifting in the weight room, right? Or what we're training or uh, how heavy is that bar in a non-competition manner. But even you've got a different mindset if you're competing in these things already. And, you know, we were talking about, there were some, one of the things that always fascinates me at a course is this thing of the enthusiast um, mindset versus the professional mindset. And when people come to an education course, they think this gap is like huge, right? right. Like we're at level 0.2 and these fit pros that have been in there anywhere from like two to 10 years are at like level 20. And the fact is in terms of actually executing a session, yes, we get better. But if you have the right personality and the right heart, sometimes those sessions don't look very different as long as there's a safe program and some mindfulness behind it. And it was very elevating to have this conversation as somebody, you know, you just said you fell in love with the gym environment uh, many years ago. I'm relatively new. I fell in love with it in my late 30s and the ability to help people and went through this whole enthusiast thing. Like I didn't sign up for my first RKC to be a trainer, I signed up for it because it was like my version of a New York marathon after blowing out my knee skateboarding. I was just like, right. I wanted an intense physical challenge. And at the time, that was the RKC. This is pre-split with strong first and all that stuff. Like that was the most physical sort of, uh, for lack of a better phrase, educational beatdown uh, right. gut check that I was aware of at the time. And then you start getting better at things and understanding things and connecting dots. And, and suddenly, you know, you're, you're out there at a certification and you're on par and you're working with other coaches that have as much or as little experience. And you start to realize like if the heart's in the right place and you're mindful and part of that is just what puts you in the course to begin with, like absolutely signing up to go puts you in a group. Um, that we're all like have this common denominator of like, it is so much more than just what we're lifting. And we right. had this conversation about, you know, I, I find there's basically like sort of three types of trainers and this is a broad generalization, but there's people that want to just sort of like collect the check and count reps. Yep. There's the people that are looking to get laid. And then there's the ones that want to change the world one person at a time or one class at a time. Right. And I think, you know, from the, from the facilities that I've been involved with and certainly in meeting people like you, we're, we're we somehow are drawn together sort of super organically into right. the categories. And I think that's one of the great things and one of the reasons why I'm so excited to have you on. Yeah, I think that, you know, that there's an important thing to note that it's like, yeah, it's like a lot of industries, just like the culinary industry or artists, like you, it has to be a labor of love, right? There's just so much, you know, competition out there and saturation of the market and just like, and people just like, God damn it, why won't people do what I want them to do, right? Like there's so much, you know, uh, in this industry that can be, um, can be hard that um, it has to be a labor of love. But the people that rise to the top, and when you name the third one of people that really, you know, the, the care, it really comes down to this is what I've really um, seen over the years. It's, it's the people that have a relentless passion to affect someone's life positively. It's about the people, right? Those are the ones that start to gravitate towards each other. They're the ones that really start to, you know, thrive in this industry. And we talk about this internally with my team a lot, which is, is really about, you know, like our mission statement at Rebirth is, you know, to help our clients have a revolutionary change in their thinking by having and creating deep, meaningful relationships. Nothing about fitness, 
nothing about nutrition. It's that pursuit of deep, meaningful relationships. And it carries over between fit pros as well too. Right. But those are the things it's like, you know, I've had, I've, I've hired and developed hundreds of coaches over the years. Cause I got into fitness management really early. And, um, one of the things that, you know, I've had coaches that, you know, have trained for 10, 12 years and just lost the fire. You know, it was yeah. just gone, right? And I have some young coaches now that have been doing it for a few years, and they're like, well, wait a minute. How do I become like you that have been doing it and still come to work with a fire every single day versus someone that, you know, just like they've just, they're just burnt and they're just they, – they've lost it. And I say, because it's not about the reps. It's not about the exercises. It's about that pursuit of – having those meaningful relationships and like I come to work for those right I I work with people still I still take on new clients because I want new relationships I love my old ones and I keep giving to those but I also want and crave new relationships to be able to help our you know help people have that type of change in their thinking to see things through a different lens to change their paradigm what I, what I love about your perspective on that is, you know, a lot of us, myself included, have some sort of a moment of clarity that brings us to fitness and that sort of changes it. But you were already in fitness, had your dark times. And listeners, um, I'm not going to, Julie and I talked about, so we're not going to go deep into his recovery story because he actually already did an amazing job on the Purposeful Strength podcast. Um, that's Sarah Palacos. I hope I'm pronouncing her name yeah. right. Uh, on episode 11, I really want you to listen to that because I don't want to steal the thunder from that. But, you know, a lot of us, for me, it was like I was feeling like a beat down dad, totally different thing. But I was like, I needed to be a strong dad, right? Um, and that's what got me to fitness. A lot of us have this moment and we find fitness as, as our own means of recovery, but to actually already be in fitness um, and go through those struggles because how things elevate. And it's very easy when you're in this field to see how they can elevate. Yeah. Um, I love it when it comes to how you approach people now. Like, I just think it's even more impactful if this was like your second career right. recovery. And I just think that's like such a valuable experience that um, I don't think a ton of people have. Yeah. I think, you know, the thing is, this is, this is the way I look at it is that, you know, um, without going too down, you know, too far down that, that rabbit hole, cause we could spend a whole hour talking about recovery and the parallels it has with health and, and coaching people. But, you know, a lot of what happens in active addiction is, Yes, there's a there's a physiological change that happens in your body, but there's also a change that happens neurologically in your brain. And what happens is also that like everything is inward, right? It's all inward focused. It's about how I'm feeling, how I don't want to feel the way I am, right? Like how I need something else to self-medicate or whatever it is to get me outside myself. But once someone puts down those those substances, it's still like it's a common thing that happens in our society is this this inward focus of ego, right? Which is like, yeah. you're not acting the way I want you to act. You're not saying the things I want you to say. You're not making me feel the way I want you to make me feel, right? Everything's coming back inwards and it's this level of unhappiness, right? As opposed to putting outwards, which is say, how can I be of service to someone else? How can I make someone else's day better, right? Like how can I think about myself less and think about others more? And for me, that was always the true path to happiness. Right. And that's why I, you know, like, I feel like I became a better trainer once I got sober, not because I was just not under the influence all the time, but because I actually had to, and it took me a few years to actually really start to change this, um, this mindset, but it was like, okay, how can I just put 
because my stuff's going to take care of itself. Most of my problems are like of my own, of, of my own making because of my perception of life. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, so when I'm putting things outwards and focusing on other people, I'm naturally happy. I'm naturally more motivated. I naturally take care of myself better. And it's not a displace of like focus and say, well, I'm not going to focus on myself. It's saying, no, like I end up focusing on myself in the right ways when I'm being of service to other people. I, you know, like I'm not like, like failing to open up the bills and stuff like that kind of stuff. Right. Like pretending like they never came in. Like, (laughs) Oh, I actually have a better, I'm more equipped to deal with the, you know, the, with, the struggles of life because now I am intuitive. I am just naturally more happy because I'm not focusing on myself as much. You know, I think I needed to actually hear that. I mean, I'll be honest with, with you and, and, and the people listening is, so I just turned 45 as of October 21st. And, you know, I'm sure you've seen this guys. We've talked about it on some of the other episodes. The fitness lifestyle is like a real, as a, as a career, you know, it's always feels weird to call it a career um, profession calling. I think most of us would consider it a calling is, you know, some years you crush it. Like last year, I crushed it just workshop wise, financially. It was like a great year. And this year has been a struggle. I went independent. So I'm like, you know, I'm basically my own business. And the last few months, you know, when you're your own business, you hit these bottoms sometimes where like you lose one client, maybe two, just they go on a break, whatever. Yeah. Um, you can't control that when you're a trainer because usually if someone is, if somebody you train has a financial situation that's becoming dire, like, rightfully so we are often the first to go now i don't mean like the new iphone came out we need to upgrade i mean like you know things happen with life kids have right. to get braces and stuff um that i i was getting my ego as i'm turning 45 my ego suddenly like i try to keep that shit in check was just like what the fuck is wrong yep. with your business model right now fury like you're, you travel, you teach, you've worked at these great places, you have a you know, sol- pretty solid reputation. Um, why the fuck aren't you training more people? And like, why is this like last three months been like more of a struggle than others? And it's all this ego driven sense of my accomplishments, right, as opposed to like, maybe because so much stuff was going on, like I didn't outwardly see because I got a little comfortable. Right. Um, Clearly, there are some things in my business model that I'm also like, hey, I'm a new business, essentially. It's been seven months since I've been out of MFF. And my original business model, I've made modifications to it that I'm still building. Like, But instead of looking at the stages, I look at, I should have this. I am owed this right. because right. I've done this. And I've been in this for now, you know, however many years, six, seven years. And it's such bullshit to think that way, right? Like, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> plus well, when that- you- when you look at like what you said about helping people, like it's only in those moments where I lose sight of, I have, instead of like, where's my money or where is this? Yeah. The impact I've had on people in that year, in those three months, the positive output, you know what I mean? Like that totally. stuff, it's so easy to look when you have a, when you have a rent check coming up or, right. um, you know, that stuff. So I, well, I just yeah. really I mean, needed like, to hear that myself right now. Well, also, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things that you have to think about too, right? Like, yes, w- you have to focus on doing good work and like, you know, and it, it sounds good. Like I truly believe at my core about being of service to other people is the thing that's going to make me happy. That doesn't necessarily are going to equate to me making money. Yeah. And if we have the right model or structure, then we can, but you know, the reality is also the other thing that we have to, it's, it's, it's funny. Like, coaches when they're building up their businesses or their clientele or whatever it might 
be, they naturally start to look at the end result. And we talk to clients about this all the time, right? Which is like, hey, don't focus on the result, focus on the processes, yeah. right? We need process oriented goals. They're going to help you get to the result. But trainers, when focusing on building their business, like it, it's funny how we forget about that stuff. And we're like, okay, I only trained, you know, X amount of sessions this week, or I'm only making this, what's, you know, I'm losing clients. And you're like, and, and your ego saying, well, what's, you know, what's going on? But the reality is, is like, yeah, I think like a, you know, a, a business person too, and say, okay, well, what are my, what are my processes? You know, what are my, how, what, you know, what is the way in which I'm getting new potential clients? And, uh, you know, and not to make it all about business and sales and stuff like that, but we need to marry the, we need to marry the two. Right. And that's where it's like looking at and saying like, okay, what, you know, what is it, the things that are within my control and how can I make changes to make sure, you know, make sure I create the best business model for, for myself that works for me. Yeah. That's sort of my spiral. Like I, I go through those moments and then I come up with like, you know, I, I almost sort of have to bottom out mildly to come up with my plan of action. I think yeah. that's just like some like messed up way. Also just creatively my brain works. Like I have to hit like a dark spot and then totally. that stress and anxiety uh, feeds me forward. Uh, I just, I don't know. I haven't seen the whole thing yet, but there's a great Steven Spielberg doc, or at least the portion that I've seen on HBO yeah, right I've now. Seen it. Yeah, yeah. And he talks about even to this day with all that he's done, all these legendary films, he only feels like he's making good stuff when he's scared and anxious. Like yeah. he needs that fear to fuel his creativity. And I think somehow I kind of need that, but I also, yeah. I do, we do all this like, you know, uh, mindfulness work on ourselves and it's really easy for the anger of fury <laughs> you right. know, like to rise up and erase it so quickly. Um, it's like, I need to step foot in the clubhouse every now and then to recharge that like mellow battery yeah. or something. Totally. No pain. Um, pain is a great motivator. Yeah. Having yeah. kids, man. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Well, no, I mean, the thing is, I've, it's like, I, you have to, everyone has to know what their strengths are, right? It's like, you know, for me, as I, you know, I think of myself as like a boxer, like I don't make a move until my back's against the wall, right? Yeah. And like, so, or like, you know, it's, um, you know, some people, they just, they, you know, when you get to an adult and you, your, your whole life, you're like, you f you're meant to feel bad about procrastinating, right? You have to know what your process is, right? Like I'm okay. As long as I'm well-versed in the topic or the, the area, like I'm okay with waiting till the 11th hour because that's when I get stuff done. And I'm finally, you know, I've learned yeah. about myself, like stop feeling bad from hours eight to 11, like, you know, at the 11th hour, as long as you are prepared, you'll get it done and you'll do good because like, that's just how I work. And that's a yeah. part of learning about yourself. Right. But you know, for me, it's like, I have to set up the incentives. I have to, you know, um, for lack of a better term, like I have to chase the carrot, yeah. you know, like it has to be in front of me. I have to see it. I don't do well on salary. Like I need to go for it and I need to have these things in place to make sure that I'm constantly chasing, um, or else I rest on my laurels. And if anyone doesn't know what that term means, laurels are, you know, like that old wreath that they would have, you know, on, around someone's head, those are your achievements of yesterday. <laughs> right. Like I, you can't rest on your achievements yeah. of yesterday. Like you can't rely on those things. They don't matter anymore. Yeah. Super true. Let's take this a step back. So one of the things that you've set up for yourself, but also as your entire facility, you have this great reputation and, and, and rightly deserved that when people meet you, you are such a positive cat that it comes across. It's like, you're just easily lovable for lack of a better phrase. Uh, and, and, you know, Julian and I talked about this folks, like, there's people you sometimes meet very quickly at a workshop uh, or just through like a couple of posts on Facebook and you just start to build uh, uh, a liking of, and then you meet and you're like, that person delivered. And occasionally you meet somebody in person and you're like, Ugh, 
Yeah, right. that was a letdown. I like you. I like you on Facebook more than I like. Yeah, you. let's stick to stick to <laughs> likes and and not actual dialogue. And but Julian's place in in my growing awareness of who he is um, also is translated into growing awareness of his whole team at uh, Rebirth. And one of the things you mentioned how you develop all of these trainers. What is you have somebody new coming into the business, somebody that's interested in, in however their journey gets you there. What's like the one skill you're looking at? Um, or characteristic or trait of somebody that might be joining the rebirth team? What would be the first sort of checkbox? Okay. So it's a, it's a tough one, right? Like you, the most important thing, and I can't go, cause there's a lot of things I'm looking at at the same time, right? Like the hiring process is just a, it's a tough one, right? Yeah. Like people are trying to sell you on who they think, you know, that you want them to be right. Like hiring just, it's, it's a crapshoot and we try and create strategies to mitigate you know, the potential of making an error. But my first and most important thing is to try and identify someone that you know that you can create a relationship with that you're going to invest in no matter what, meaning that they are here, they are your chosen family, and that like if they have struggled with something, that you care about them so much that you are going to make sure that you take the time to help them grow and improve in that area. I don't know about you, and I, you know, like I talk about this, you know, good game about like caring about other people and service, but there's just some people you don't drive with no matter what, right? And you're just like, True. they're just not my type of people, right? Like we don't, we're not cut from the same cloth and that you're like working next to them and you're just like, why do I not feel that inherent desire to want to do anything for them, right? And it's like, <laughs> and so it takes a little while, right? But like you hire good people first, right? That's super you true. Hire good people first. I don't care if they're, their personality's a 10 and they can put on a show every day or they're even at a five. Like that, they don't need to be like me, right? We don't need five of me in one studio. That's too much, right? Like I need dependable and people that are, they're good natured and um, that are caring and that, that want to do good work. The other thing is this, is that like, it's identifying um, what their past experiences have been like, because the greatest indicator of future behavior is past experience. True. Right. And yeah. so you, they're not like expecting someone to grow into something, right. Into someone that they're not is just not going to, it, it, it's just not going to be a fruitful path for anyone trying to build a team. It's so, tricky. Sorry to cut you off, but it's, it's tricky when some of the people coming in are so young that there right. is no, and you're wondering if they're going to grow in. Yeah. Cause, uh, you know, sometimes those pressures come in and you're very on par with somebody and then you realize they're half your age and they're brilliant. Um, but sometimes you just see like they, they, they want more before they're ready. Yeah, totally. Right? Which no. isn't bad to be driven, but sometimes it's like, you're completely unrealistic right now. No, no, totally. Well, so my process is very specific, right? Like I, I will not bring someone onto the team that hasn't had two to three years of working of experience working in a big box gym they wow. have to know what it's like to have to fend for themselves they have to know what it's like to be part of a team that isn't a family you they have to know hire it, me yeah no i wouldn't it's just hireable <laughs> well now because <laughs> um you know the team at mff they did all the work for me so <laughs> this is true Right. So no, but it's different, right? Like now because training gyms are becoming more of the norm, that's a different story. But like, so I've, it, I, you know, like I've evolved that, but like they have to like, we're not, I can't be talking about, you know, like, you know, uh, 
where the origin insertion of the peck is with them or something like that, right? Like, even though that's teachable, like we're just a little bit past that where we are as a team, you know, or what we're doing and saying, okay, so that's the prerequisites, you know, and then that's just going to help them get in, you know, into the, you know, through the door of getting a kind of like a phone interview. But when we do like a, when I do a real interview, I'm asking, you know, uh, questions that are searching for competencies and behaviors, meaning like, tell me about a time that you had a client that had just didn't buy in. And how were you able to work around that and get them to buy it? What was that revolutionary change? Like, okay, tell me about a time that you had uh, the greatest, you know, the greatest client relationship that you created that transcended the client trainer relationship. Tell me about that. Like, I just want to hear all these stories. And if they don't have those stories, guess what? They're just not like what, you know, where we're at right now. And like, I don't want to have to play catch up on that because I know the, or like, I need to be able to hear their ability to communicate those things, you know, and be able to have a good flow of conversation around those things. Um, Cause the exercise part, our program design portion, what we're doing, even the advanced stuff that we do with like food sensitivity testing, hormone testing, genetic testing, like all that's teachable that's the easy stuff. Yeah. Right. Like I just need to know that they can communicate well and they've had some sort of level of experiences, but it's, it's not even necessarily the answer to the questions. It's their ability to communicate those answers. That's really what I'm looking for. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I'm thinking back now on all the interviews I've had. So I've been very lucky in terms of the fitness. I've only worked at two places, uh, five points Academy and MFF. And right. the MFF was sort of a referral and I met with Mark and then I met, I had a sort of, I guess I don't want to say odd interview, but like they, they brought me back, I guess, quote unquote, for the callback second interview. And it was like a bunch of people. So it was like, Brian, you know, BPM, Kyle, Mark, Rick Raven was there at the time and killer. And they were asking me, you know, questions and I wasn't used to the format of it. But it also wasn't necessarily intimidating other than like, hey, I'm meeting a bunch of people right now. And especially, when, you know, when you talk about not knowing what to expect and trying to present, potentially present what you think they need, you're wondering, like, is this the point I pull my dick out? Like, yeah, yeah, totally. what, what do I do now? Um, and, but like when I think back about my corporate gigs, right, and advertising and visual effects, it like it seems like that, you know, they definitely wanted to get a vibe off of you. But all of those interviews were almost solely based on, you know, in the beginnings, where did you go to school? Yeah. Um, and then it just became like, even for like really big paying gigs, it was just kind of like, who are your client base? Who's your friends? Right. There was right. no like depth of personality check in it. Right. And thinking back now and all the hearing you list off all of these things that we try to do. And, you know, obviously going through the process with Mark and hearing him talk about hiring and trying to get to know these people, how it was just like, here's your in visual effects. It was like, here's your real, I'm going to throw money at you to bring you on in the attempt that you're just going to bring more money in. And how often the person being brought on at a high paycheck would basically just destroy the culture of, you know, right. the entire facility, not just in a financial resentment type of thing, but just in like a pure ego, sometimes on right. purpose, sometimes like, you know, empty promises, you know, owners make all these promises and things don't happen. Um, but it's just one of those things, like I mentioned on Mark's episode where, you know, I had no true mentor. I like, I had mentors, but nobody was like, why don't you read these books? Like I, I shadowed and learned and could ask questions certainly, but there was never like a, an onboarding process really. Right. You know, other than go hang out in the room here, watch how I do this, but it was not like onboarding. Right. right. So to hear like the interview process, just to get, you know, a, a, an important gig, but even on an entry level coaching position, right. 
to think of how we approach it so deep, so much on a deeper thing than I think a lot of businesses do. And if you could imagine how good businesses would succeed, not just financially, but on a culture, right. if we all put that level of effort in our human choice selection, it'd be yeah. a wonderful place to live. Well, I mean, I think the thing is this is that you've had a great experience going to MFF and as, as you know, crazy as Mark and Mike and BPM and all them seem, like they get it and they understand that the culture and vibe is created first through the team and then, and then it manifests itself itself out with the you know you know the the ninjas as you guys call them but like the thing is like it matters so much that if you hire the wrong person it costs you money yeah if i have a trainer leave like i don't care what any you know like um how long those clients have been there if they're new or older not like it's it it affects their experience and um and those clients have a less likelihood of of staying around longer right when you have turnover internal and so, and that's because they build, they build relationships and they, you know, feel comfortable with certain coaches and things like that. And if that coach leaves, like it, it has an effect. Now, granted, we want people to fly, right? Like we don't want to necessarily hold everyone down and say, no, just you're a worker bee. Because unfortunately the good coaches have these desires to grow professionally, personally, financially, and spiritually. It's an inherent, you know, like it's, yeah. it's who we are as people, right? And you have to be able to create that environment within, but there's a potential risk of loss that way. But we'd rather someone lose someone because they're growing and they're going to do something, you know, uh, that meets their needs and, and because they're going to build something as opposed to they weren't the right fit. They didn't fit the culture, right? Their vibe was off and we're going to have to let them go, right? Those yeah. are two totally different things. Yeah, oh, very much so. I mean, right. I think me leaving MFF, it's funny. Some people still aren't aware of it and I'll get a message like, what happened? And I'm like... I needed to do other stuff with my time, like right. nothing else. Like it was right, nothing right. on MFF. Like I love the place and we're still super tight, but everybody, historically people want like some sort of dirt. And I'm like, in this one, there's zero dirt. Right. Like this was a growth moment. But then you do hear about like, well, things went south with that person, not at MFF. They've never really right. had that situation. But you hear from other friends, well, like, yeah, that was uh there was like a little bit of a conflict or something in that didn't happen. Right. Um, but yeah, I think overall, again, however we're drawn together, through our ideologies and the stuff that we dive into, um, you know, whether it's programming, strength training, technique, mindset, whatever it is, uh, you can't kind of learn all this stuff to how to help people without having those realizations on how you need to help yourself. Yeah. And I think that just comes with it sometimes because, you know, we can lift all the weights and try to get the people to lift all the weights. But if we're trying to change their mindset, we also have to try to match that as well. Yeah. So it's not just walk in the walk in terms of how big or how lean we are. It's also walk in the walk in terms of like, how are we actually living our lives to help support what we're trying to present to you. Absolutely. There's a saying, an oral cliche that says, uh, you can't transmit something you don't have. True. You I've never heard I mean? that. Yeah. I mean, well, that's like a, that's a, like a recovery cliche. There's a, I got a huge black book full of all these little sayings, you know, but cliches are, are, you know, are said because they're true for the most part, you know? And, um, that's it. You know, like if you don't have it, if you're, if you don't have that inside of you, if you don't have, if you're, if you're not happy, if you're not doing the things that you need to do to take care of yourself mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, right. How like your clients are going to know. Yeah. Of course they're going to know. You know what I mean? It's that whole thing that, you know, the, the constant quest of being truly authentic. And I think some people think they can, 
somehow manifest their own authenticity, which is like, it just happens, right? Right. Like, I can't be like, this is my authentic self because okay. I'm trying to present as authentic. It's just whatever happens, happens. And people pick up on that. And it's one thing if you're just going through like a little bit of a rut or something. And it's another one. It's like, you're just really the things that are coming out of your mouth yeah, are right. matching <laughs> how yeah, you totally. <laughs> right? And I know sometimes I've, we've all had those sessions where you're going in a session and you just had like a really shit day yeah. or morning or whatever. And then you get in there and it's amazing how quickly they can uplift you even at the worst Absolutely. times. And I think that's like one of those gauges, like, are you in the right field? Because if that becomes a haul, even when it's tough, it's like, uh, those are the moments to reconsider if this work effort is actually worthwhile right there's a lot of work going into everything yeah. um even if it's not hours on the floor the studying we do the practice we do the you know trying to write shoot videos and stuff there's so much to it now that those moments of joy when you're like really dark and you can just go have a session or teach a class and suddenly like that's gone for that hour like right. gone it's just one of the most amazing feelings and i don't think i've ever felt that outside of skateboarding or at like a punk show or something it's right. really to, to have that a, a, as a part of the, the day job, for lack of a better phrase, is kind of amazing. Yeah, I mean, it was something that I learned really early on, where, you know, like we talked about earlier in the show, is that, like, you know, if I focus on other people, all my stuff kind of just, like, goes away. And, like, what better way to do that with being in a session? But you have to remind yourself, like, and it takes a while to learn. Like, you know, I would have to constantly... Um, take, you know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds before a session and be like... This is about them, not me. This is about yeah. them, not me. How can I be of service to this person, right? And so, like, whatever I had going on, because life happens, and there's going to be things that happen that, like, occupy your mind, and it just is what it is. But, like, if I'm going into a session and I'm thinking about myself, I'm going to be talking about myself, right, <laughs> through the session, and they're not going to have a great experience. And then also, converse, you know, like, um, conversely, when um, if, if I'm trying to force something to happen with my client, force a change to happen in them, right? Where it's like, I'm trying to will their change for them, right? Like I'm trying to say, hey, we gotta, you know, like, gotta drink more water, you gotta drink more water, gotta drink more water, gotta drink more water. Like, they're just like, there's no context for them. They have to come to that on their own. And I have to help excavate the context for them to be able to say, hey, you know what? Maybe I should drink more water. Maybe that will help me feel better, right? Maybe that will give me more energy. I won't be as tired. Maybe I will lose weight more, whatever it might be, right? And those are the things, but it's like, you know, they it has to mean something to them, but like, and that's the whole base on, you know, uh, motivational interviewing for coaching. It's like, how do you ask the better questions? How do you yeah. ask the right questions so they come up with the answers, right? But that all comes back to, is it about me? Am I willing? Am I trying to will this to happen? When reality is, I'm just trying to help them along on their journey. It's so true. Like the three hardest things I think with being a trainer, when I think, you know, if we remove like financial pressures, right, out of the world of that, or, and I've never owned a business, so you know, uh, removing that type of brick and mortar responsibility from it, the three hardest things are this to me, right? The potential to harm somebody. Like, I mean, that is always the first thing because I think most of us, the initial education we go to is to get results safely. Um, so that we're not potentially harming something because we are dealing with like, you know, loads and movement and let's just face it, shit happens, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Flip on the street and, you know, get hurt worse than skating a half pipe. The second one is that when you know there's a simple change, a simple thing, and it can't get through no matter how many different approaches. And that's not necessarily their fault. That's like, A, the moment in time for them to be accepting to hearing. Three, it's, you know, the other part of that is, um, 
you know, trying to come up with the fresh approaches to get them to find this for themselves. Cause right. that is the biggest struggle. All of us can make people stronger, right? I like right. to look at it this, like as a trainer, all of us can make people move better. All of us can make people stronger because we can actually accomplish that within our goals of our sessions. Right. The nutrition aspect, the habit aspect of that, that's the part that's like, man, I, I have to set you up to do that on your own. Um, making suggestions and like, I'm not like, I don't like to get people too crazy on it, but that's where it's out of my control. Right. So I can tell them to do stuff. It doesn't mean they're going to do it. They have to want to do it themselves. And, you know, as somebody that's familiar with people in recovery, uh, that's a pretty, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right based out of that. You have yeah. to know when you have to do it for yourself. You know what the third hardest part of being a trainer is? What's that? having a poop in a session and you're like trying to hold it, but it's like one of those you can't, that's the hard third hardest part of being a trainer. That used to be my second hardest part, but then I put the client's goals first. Yeah. It reminds me of the family guy uh, episode where they're like all in a meeting. They have like 10 executives in a boardroom and they all have to go to the bathroom. They're like, yep, yep. Okay. Okay. Good. Yep. yep okay. Good. We're done. We're done. Oh, it is the worst feeling. And you're like, oh my gosh, I got 30 yeah. minutes left. Yeah. Hey, you're going to do three sets of this and I'm going to hope I'm going to set a PR. Uh, yeah. in terms go, of jog, go jog around the building two laps. <laughs> Uh, just crawl. Don't look up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> crawl away from me and don't yeah. look up. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. I think that's a great way to look at it. Um, not to, in terms of like trying to enable their own change without trying to will it. Cause it just right. won't happen. It right. won't happen. And you know, sometimes you, you, you're training people that they want to talk to you about anything, but your expertise, right? right. Too. That's part of it too. Like they don't want to hear about like a simple nutrition habit or a simple daily habit they can do outside of that. They want to right. talk to you about like more like personal fun stuff because talking about habit change is, is hard for somebody because that's the moment they realize yeah. they have to make the decision themselves right. versus being distracted right. um, or versus paying us for that hour. That's a really scary thing that I think, um, uh, you know, as someone that is not naturally physically gifted in any fucking way whatsoever yeah, okay. um you know that's a hard part for me to sort of come to grips with even on myself like i gotta work hard for it and i have to make those decisions to do it and it's really easy for me to blow stuff off so if you take and, and we love fitness now take this to people that just probably hate fitness but know there's something bad in their lives that they want to change how they feel how they look right. um on all levels and then fitness is just like fuck i don't want to go to the gym or it's like, I don't want to run. I don't want to get on the treadmill. But that's what everybody initially starts out for, right? We're going to go for a run in treadmill. And meeting them where they're at, that they can find some joy in it. And then also where they can start making their own habits, that it doesn't have to be a grind. And I think that's like the eye-opener of MFF for me. Like just the way that they've infused play into everything um, really was hugely eye-opening to me. Yeah. I think the other thing that's really important is identifying that like um, – the social and peer support is critical to helping people change as they, you know, we are at some level, there's a, you know, there's a point of osmosis where people just we absorb their positive or negative energy. And, you know, this comes from you know, reco different recovery approaches or therapy approaches where they have people, you know, peers together discussing the same thing where sometimes where one person who seems to be the qualified professional, it feels like big brother and it can happen with a one-on-one -on -one coaching too. And then, um, and that's where I think the evolution from the industry is needs to go. And I think I know MFF does this really well um, with their snatched in uh, six weeks program. It's just like coaching group habit change. Yeah. Right. Group goal setting. 
how does the group together pick a goal to work and how do they support each other right as opposed to because that's that's the hard thing is like i don't i never believed in when the industry was turning to large groups right i was like no way habit change you know people need to change their daily habits like i am not going down that rabbit hole where you just pile more people in you drop the price there's a low barrier of entry and then people fall through the cracks right some people get results and a lot don't right and we're just trying to crush them and that's where the evolution has been for more small group approach to personal training um so we like to we're we've been switching to our studio to you know, try and have people come in for one-on-one for a little while. So they're getting the fundamentals and, you know, getting some real attention, but then trying to facilitate them toward transition towards semi-private. And what we've been diving into for the past, you know, year or so internally as a team with our education hasn't been any of the exercise stuff. Like we've pretty much gone away from that. You know, it's yeah. just been all like reading about habit change and motivation science and like, how do we coach people and even how do we get better at, at group goal setting and yeah. group habit change together? That's definitely a struggle, you know, basically with as a personal trainer now an online trainer trying to establish some sort of community. And, you know, I have a private Facebook group, but that is something that I struggle with. And it's been nice starting to teach. I teach one class a week that I'm, I'm thinking will grow out if I can schedule it correctly uh, is having the people in the room. Like it's just such a different thing. And what's great about it is some of my personal training clients and online training clients actually come to the class. So they actually get to meet each other in person. But that's, that's been a really interesting thing of, you know, being in these little ISO, you know, bubbles where it is very much just a one-on-one, you know, uh, Fury Industries is in my apartment. So it's like very much, it's us. And yeah. I create like a good atmosphere and everything. It's not, you know, any more creepy than it would be with me in any other session. But <laughs> yeah, that is, I really do think the group thing helps a lot. Um, and, but then I've also realized like some people need, at least in the beginning, and beginning could be like long-term, you know, that individual attention. Absolutely. You know, uh, that transition from making the step to change and being in a group, uh, sometimes it's just overwhelming. Yeah. Um, sometimes absolutely. it's just like, you know, they want to have the mentor, you know, uh, learn the things a little better, have those eyes on, but it's also just, it's like that, uh, it's like a halfway point. Right. Being able to get out into a group environment. Well, the, you know, the industry for many years has been talking about the death of personal training and yeah, the one-on-one personal training instead. And, and they're absolutely wrong. Fitness is going to sh- change shapes and sizes and the way it looks is going to evolve over the next 10, 15, 20 years, even with AI coming in and yeah. potential holograms and all that kind of stuff. Right. Like it's coming. It's definitely yeah, coming. It's definitely. Right. Um, but like, there will always be a place for one-on-one training. It may not be as prevalent as it once was, but like people do need that, but they might need a hybrid, right? Like what we've been trying to get people to do is maybe do, you know, like here we've been testing a few different things because we're about to expand and we'll have a little bit more space so we can play around with it. Um, But like, you know, it's, yeah, like we acknowledge that semi-private training is more cost effective for the client. It's, you know, the, the, the trainer can make more money and the margins better for the company, right? Like, okay, so everyone wins except for the person that needs one-on-one individual attention. And if you need to pull someone in the office and be like, Hey, how's everything going? What's, you know, like what's going on in you, right? Like you can't do that in a session, in a semi-private session or a large group. It's not happening. right? Right. So you need to figure out ways to be able to get some alone time with your, you know, with your, with your people. And, um, because, you know, they, they need it. Not everybody, but like most people, like most of the time, their inability to take care of themselves through healthy eating or consistent exercise or whatever it is, is a manifestation of some other stuff, right? Their time management sucks. 
there's you know, self-worth, they're taking care of other people, whatever it might be, right? Like it's all these things, you know, that, that can, can affect that. And a lot of times it's the, you know, it's manifested into the end result. And we're looking at the end result being like, Hey, you know, Hey, if you, uh, you know, that eating at night <laughs> that you're doing, right. Like, <laughs> Hey, just don't do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or, like that's, it, that's, that's me right now, man. Yeah, but it's like, but it's so, and it can be as simple as something like logistics or the environment, or it could be something deep in like, yeah, sometimes it goes back to your childhood. It just is what it is, you know? But like yeah. for me, like I was doing that because I was like working 14 hours a day, barely eating 1200 calories throughout and just like get home at night and I would just eat so much food, right? And then like, and I'd be like watching TV because I just need to zone out for a little bit. And I was one to never, you know, I try so many different things. I'm like, okay, eat more during the day, do this and only have this. And, and I tried these so many things, strategies. And finally I was like, well, I'm watching TV and I'm zoning out. And I know I'm not hungry anymore. Um, why don't I buy a bigger TV for downstairs, take <laughs> my other TV, move it upstairs to the bedroom. I've never watched TV in bed. I started watching TV in bed. Guess who's not eating mindlessly at night and just yeah. don't eat in bed. And it was like something as stupid and simple as an environmental thing, right? So there's so many different things. It's not, there's not one answer to any problem. Um, and uh, so you, sometimes you got to get people, you know, and you got to dig, you got to excavate, and it, you got to get them alone. Yeah, I love that you actually said the TV thing because again, you know, there's the there's, there's, as trends and things pick up uh, pick up within our industry, you know, they tend to cycle through and and not dis discounting any of them, but you know, like the whole uh, you know no electronics after eight p.m. go to bed, stay away from all signals. It's like somebody needs to find what works for them right. uh, in the context of their whole life plan versus what like, look, science might say this is better. Um, these tests might, you know, or, or uh, tests might say this is better, but you have to find what works for you. And I think that's one of the things you learn the longer you're a coach totally. that you have to be more adaptable. Like you can have like your, like, this is the high bar for what I think everyone should do. But then the, this is the space in between is what the reality is of everyone else is going to fit. Cause it's rare that you're going to find that person. And that's usually the person that's really close to the hop, high bar is right. usually the enthusiast that turns into a trainer. Totally. Nerds out and, and grows into it. Well, you really, the longer you, you know, you become a coach, you realize like you know that for late night eating this, you know, 20 different strategies that someone could use. And if I just, randomly just start throwing them out there and there's no context behind it it means nothing to that person then the reality is is they're going to discount it and they may not use it for a later time as opposed to presenting them with a bunch of different options helping them you know like set the context for themselves and say hey here's things that have worked for other people there's no perfect solution there's no perfect strategy we're exploring right now this yeah. you know the overeating that you've been doing or the over whatever it might be eating compulsively those things which i'm not qualified to necessarily like i am not a i'm not a doctor i'm not a therapist right mm -hmm. but i do know that there's some strategies some lifestyle stuff that we can do which one seems interesting for you we're probably not going to you know figure this out overnight which one do you want to try Let's yeah. start documenting. Let's discuss it. See how it went, right? And then you let them, and you have a list because, it, and whichever one they gravitate towards, you're letting them choose their own adventure. Yeah, it, it's like this uh, idea that it, it's okay to fail at aspects of fitness, but it's it's you shouldn't quit. 
Right. Right. We yeah. keep we keep working at it. Well, hey, growth, uh, growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Right. Yeah. Yes. So you go all the <laughs> phrases, Julian. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, hey guys, Julian's got a heart out. So I'm going to wrap this up in a moment, but uh, we're going to have to get on because we didn't even talk about music. So one of the things that Julian and I like we'll see is like we go to a lot of the same types of shows. So uh, Julian, I just want to know offhand what are like the two best shows you've gone to recently. So. Um, <laughs> funny is that there's one that is i normally don't go it was a stadium show metallica at gillette stadium a few months back this summer just from the the grandiosity of it right just like the effects and like i'm one of those guys that's like only the first four albums the black album sucks and everything after sucks <laughs> but don't get me wrong i was there and i'm like belting out enter sandman it was just like the spectacle of it was amazing. And they played so much. They played a couple songs off of Kill 'em All, you know, and then you get everything that you wanted off of um, all, all the albums. So it was great. So that was, that was awesome. Money well spent. I'm at a point in my life where, like, I'm not sitting up in the 300s at a stadium, right? Like, I like a club show. But, like, I was like, <laughs> I'm going to go spend the money. I'm going to get up front. The other thing was just, like, a sentimental band of uh, mine was uh, last year, actually, um, was a band doing a little reunion tour. Um, not many people know about them. It might have been a hundred people in this show. There's a band called From Autumn to Ashes. Oh, I and, know them. Yeah. I mean, oh, they, yeah. they barely made it big, right? But for some reason, it worked for me. And that's the thing about music is really about, like, it's represent representative of a time in my life. I like music that invokes an emotion. I like my music really heavy or really soft. Yeah, I and think like, we both... We share email, some, some yeah. email things. I mean, uh, I, I'm older than you, but there's definitely uh, autumn from autumn to ashes was like sort of like as taking back Sunday was picking up yeah, right. Hawthorne Heights and yeah, like second and the second wave of emo into screamo. Yeah, yeah, I'm an early emo guy too. Like I love Sunny Day Real Estate, yeah. Rainer Maria. Like you know, I love the first wave of emo was like I went back for it, and like that's my favorite. There's some killer stuff on that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah that's uh, you know Annie Vo, whose podcast episode's going out uh, yeah. uh, exactly one week before years we, we talked about metallic as well and uh if you haven't given death magnetic a try you should really listen to yeah, death magnetic that's good. a killer album if yeah. that had come out after injustice for all we'd be putting that one i think up in the canon of the of the big ones yeah um it's funny for me i saw them the last time i saw metallica was at the big four show at yankee stadium yeah and i think i just got too used to the grandiosity of them and yeah. and actually left early i was a little bit like I've seen it. I've seen them a few times now. Yeah. That's my first live show ever was Master of Puppets back in the yeah. day. They opened for Ozzy, and I'm just like, eh. Meanwhile, yeah, right. Slayer and Anthrax destroyed me. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, Anthrax yeah. is just still crushing it now that they've got Joey back in the band. Right, right, right. Uh, well, Julian, uh, tell people where they can find you. And I'm going to have to get you back on here. But tell people where they can find you. So I live on Facebook. <laughs> you can search it out. Um, you know, just uh, Julian Cardus. Um, and um, it's interesting. I've evolved. You know, I don't share much fitness stuff anymore, right? Because I spend a lot of my effort internally with my team. My coaches are just awesome. Um, most of my, my rants are political rants. Um, so if you... Uh, <laughs> You want to get away from that, you may not want to follow me. But what we're, do <laughs> what we're doing with Rebirth Body Transformation Center is really trying to marry, um, you know, uh, bioindividuality, like genetic testing, food sensitivity testing, hormone panels, all that, and marry that with habit change psychology. And um, 
we just know that like, you know, people are overworked, they're overstressed, they're overcaffeinated, they're malnourished, they're not sleeping well and, you know, hit training and high intensity stuff like, yeah, that's all. It, it, it's great for someone that they don't have a lot of mileage on their body hormonally, but like we're beating people to death and we, and there's a time and place. So like I'm for it. Um, also against it, depending on who it is. And really we, you know, so we're really trying to get, um, down to what's going on internally with someone and trying to get back into truly personalizing someone's program a little bit. And if they just need some low intensity strength training, they need to just go do some steady state cardio, they need to go for a walk, um, whatever it is, then that's, you know, then that's what we're trying to get people into doing. Um, and then marrying that with the habit change psychology. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's always a learning curve 16 years in and I'm still learning every day. And the people I like to follow are like, you know, uh, coach Steve-O, um, from Habitry. Um, you know, he really reinvigorated my, my passion for helping people make changes, um, and, and how to, how to really execute that. So, um, so yeah, you can find us at Rebirth Body Transformation Center. Um, and you can, um, and find me on Facebook as well too. Awesome. And, and folks, like I can't stress like this approach, I wish I was closer so I can train with you myself. Like as somebody that just got slapped with Graves disease and thyroid issues, I can't speak enough about when your, when your hormones are out of whack. Uh, certainly we tend to think about it with women first as they start to age, um, or men in terms of like a testosterone thing first, but just in general, uh, it's a huge part of the approach because there is no, I've had to train, change my training dramatically based on what I've gone through as someone with Graves disease, uh, which I'm fine. That sounds so like, right. <laughs> I'm fine, folks. Um, Are you gonna make it? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be okay. I hit some, I hit a PR the other day. I'm good. Um, well, Julian, thank you so much for coming on. Can you tell the listeners to die mighty? Die, Marty. Awesome. Uh, folks, thank you for listening. I will get Julian back on here down the line. Um, if you want to support this podcast like Julian does, uh, go to patreon.com slash Podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Podcast. And, uh, you know, donate a few bucks. And while you're doing it, go hit up Kevin Larrabee, the FitCast, uh, and throw a couple bucks his way because he's been doing this for like 10 years. Um, so, and he's the best at it. So go hit that up. Um, um, stay tuned for next, uh, next week's guest. It's going to be my friend, Melody Schoenfeld. I'm very excited to have Sister Fury on. Uh, take care, everybody. Thanks, Julian. The Coach Fury podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner. That's me for Fury Industries, LLC. Music by the FTW. Visit the FTW.NYC for merchandise, tour info, and the record. Artwork provided by Glenn Urieta. Visit glennurieta.com. That is G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A or at Glenn Urieta on Instagram and Twitter.